You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. This is the Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Guess what uh, Guess what today is for me? We're recording on a Monday. Are you long running? Mm-mm. What are you doing? I'm just, I'm just running. I took my week rest last week, and I get to go for my first run in uh, eight days. Yeah, are you starting out with a longer one, or are you easing in? I'm going to ease in. I'm only going six miles. I'm only going to run four days a week these first uh, couple weeks back. We actually got like almost four inches of snow yesterday. So I have some fresh pow pow to run. We did not. We've had rain. Yeah. I hit a a mileage PR since, uh, well, I ran more than twice for the first week since surgery. Actually, since I didn't run for three and a half weeks prior to surgery. So this was like 11 weeks before I ran two days, three days in a week. Can I guess your mileage last week? You may. I think you went... 4.3 4.3 miles. No. I did two 3K runs in uh, a 4K and a 5K. No shit. That's like nine miles. That's way more. Congratulations. How's the body feel? Yeah, it's nine miles. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's hard to tell because I also went out and biked a hard 50 miler on Saturday. Oh, I saw that on like your mom's bike or something. My sister's. <laughs> sister's bike. Yeah, my sister's. <laughs> I, I, the night before I was like, I have not done a long effort. And, and it was interesting. I was listening to the Hunter podcast while I was editing it. So on Friday, I was listening to it a bunch, um, making sure before we posted up that it was all good. And he just had so many things that he said about his mental game that really, really hit me and kind of like illuminated some flaws I've developed over the last year or two mentally. And I thought, I'm not doing enough mental suffer days. Like I don't need to go out and make it a suffer fest every day, but I have to be uncomfortable more than I'm uncomfortable right now. And I've been doing all my rehab. So it's like a very thought out rehab plan, but there's not any suffering mm-hmm. mentally during rehab other than the suffering of waiting to do something real. So I mm-hmm. thought I'm just going to put myself down on the spin bike and I'm going to listen to the entire Hunter episode. So, you know, an hour 40 or whatever, and just not move off the indoor spin bike no matter how much my butt gets sore or whatever, like I'm just going to suffer for almost two hours. And then I thought like, that's not even two hours. Like I really need something. And I, I texted my sister. I'm like, Hey, are you awake? She's like, yeah, she's, she's living next door right now with my parents. She came home from Spain because their whole season got canceled. Uh, I said, you have your bike? She said, yeah. So I'm taking it tomorrow morning. Okay. So I got up at five, did a mini little tune up on our bike and decided I picked a route out and just said, I'm biking out 25 and I'm biking back 25 and I'm going to get a long day. in. so just made myself work hard for three hours and stay on it mentally. So thank you, Hunter. Did you, uh, did you get any weird look with like the pink tassels and the basket on the front of the bike or were people cool with that? No, they're good with that. Anyways, moral of the story, I got a big volume weekend for me. I was up close to double digit hours and 
hit nine miles of running. So wow. that, that, that's where I'm at. What about you? What'd you do with your off week? Um, man, I've hiked a lot. Every day I went out hiking, uh, put in between like four to nine miles of, so I'm a, I'm a deer hunter and, uh, in the fall anyways, but I've chose like different state parks or state land. And I just go like walk through the woods, like no, like trails where like are groomed and there's a bunch of people. Like I go to like this plot of state forest and just trot, trot through the woods. And I've been doing that. Like, I don't know, probably five days last week. And then I hit a few quality interval sessions on the assault bike. So I put some like really low grade time on feet. And then I hit balance that out with some like short, hard efforts, uh, non-running. And uh, now I'm ready to get back to it. I did an assault bike interval session. And? That sucks. I did <laughs> I did uh, 30-30 for uh, 20 rounds. Yeah. I did 60-60 for 20 rounds. So suck it. <laughs> oh, man. I got to build up to that. <laughs> build up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Build up to that. Yeah, I think I put Hunter said I had to do two two for twenty rounds. So that's a lot of work. That is a lot of work. So you want to lead us into what we're talking about today? Yeah, we we've had several people ask the same question, and whenever that happens, it seems like this is something that needs to be addressed. And I think that it extends to more than just our audience. I feel like the endurance public in general yep. um, has a either a lack of understanding or just a lack of comfort with the um with how to actually implement strength training as an endurance athlete it's something mm -hmm. that as a high schooler your coach has you do like the lunge matrix or some push-ups after practice and some like plank work or core work and then in college i don't know about you but we had like three day a week core sessions my, my first college i went to which was division one we had yeah. sand in water bottles 20 ounce water bottles with sand inside that we would do running arms for 30 and 60 second intervals and we'd do core right. and that was our strength workout. Mm -hmm. Then I went to a D3 program and we had like a professional strength setup where we were doing <laughs> Olympic lifts, compound movements, we were doing five, three, one sets, kind of like Wendler stuff and some three by five. And that's kind of where I fell in love with lifting. But um, not everyone had that. And then how do you translate that from being a track athlete to the roads or to cross country or to marathon or OCR? There's just a lot of athletes out there. It's probably the sport with the least amount of strength structure as a young athlete coming up um, that, that we have in our country. Football players, basketball players, soccer players generally have some conditioning seg segment, strength and conditioning component of their program. And runners don't. Yeah. Yeah. And I think... You know, last week we talked about how to like periodize our training with this new situation we have in the world, not knowing when we're going to race again and all of that. And what we left out, and I hinted to this in the episode, but we left out the strength component of like periodizing our new season. And that's a super important part of this whole deal. And so it makes sense to sort of take a step back and look at what we're doing for strength work, like right now and building into our season as well. Um, we could do like a blanket strength training for OCR episode, but I think we're sort of back to our off season base building mode. And so I think we should, we should dive into strength work building from the ground up, uh, leading into our late summer fall races. So I think it's super relevant. I think we got what Brack in like three or four questions basically in the last few days about it alone. Yeah. So it's time to dive into that. It is. So first of all, I think it's worth just kind of illuminating for runners who maybe don't have any background with this or who are skeptics, why strength training matters to a runner. 
who is not a sprinter to a distance runner. Why does strength training matter? Yeah. You're asking me that, aren't you? I am. I, I have yeah. my own thoughts on it, but you, you have some credentials behind your name in the strength world. Yeah. Um, well, to simplify it, I think, you know, the easier a movement becomes to perform for you, meaning the more power you're able to put out, the less costly a high repetition of that movement is going to be to your body. For example, if your legs get stronger for, let's say, its maximal power output, then in theory, when you start to duplicate that movement in a high rep fashion, you should fatigue less quickly. So creating or increasing maximal power should translate to um, better performance over duration. For example, and this is not an irrelevant movement to running, but I overload my pull-ups. So I do weighted pull-ups, okay? Um, when I do overly heavy weighted pull-ups, Perspectively, after a few weeks, I can do many more bodyweight pull-ups because I have overtrained that stimulus. And now we can apply that to functional movements for endurance training and thus become more resilient through strength training. That's a perfect way of summing up why it's important from a performance standpoint. The yeah. more you can move, the easier it is to move less. Yeah, and body weight is almost generally, almost always less than what we would be lifting in training. And so that's mm -hmm. huge. The second part that I believe in is overall bulletproofing of your body for injury prevention. There, we are an extremely linear sport and we have movement pathways that are just ingrained into our body. And as runners, we stick to our movement patterns more than almost any other sport does. Maybe swimmers and cyclists fall into that as well. And rowers, mm -hmm. uh, endurance sports in general, we stick to our movement patterns, but that gets us really good at that pattern. And that gets us really susceptible to injury in that pattern, or if we ever have to break out of that pattern. Mm -hmm. Now, do you think, do you think some of that has to do with your injuries that you've been dealing with and coming back from, or do you think that's more of an anomaly? <sighs> if I date my injury history back, it started with a broken toe. Okay. And everything from there stemmed from improper rehab, rushing the process, or from that point on, having a hitch in the giddy up that led to some issues kinetically in the chain of my stride. Uh, so I guess yes and no. I think the impetus for it was, uh, was freak. But since then, yeah, mistakes were made on my end that led to not becoming that, like bulletproofing my chain of movement. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It really is the conundrum we fall into because we need to train linear because that's predominantly what our sport requires. Um, but then you lead to super uh, large imbalances in your structure, your supporting structure. You know, there's so many attachments in, I mean, through your whole chain from your low back to your hips, down to your knees, ankles, feet. And when you're only moving linear and thank God for trail running, because technical trail running is actually really good for building linear strength. But um it's it's the the common conundrum of overuse um, and imbalances, and that's where most injuries stem from. And I mean, myself included, and I feel like I approach this from a somewhat cerebral point of view. So, um, yeah, that's a good point. I think the injury prevention side of strength training can't be can't be undersold or oversold. Yeah, and and there is there's something to be said for when every piece of you is strong, your stride is just crisper. 
And by that, I mean like your feet hit the ground, you balance immediately and you can fire off without any sag in your chain where you look at runners who are exceptionally weak. And even if they're fast, they, they have some weird movement in their stride and it's happening because their body can't support itself mm -hmm. in the perfectly like rigid form that it wants to be. And as a result, something ends up taking the, the brunt of that force. And the less you have of that, the more you are, well, the faster you are, because the faster you can get off the ground each stride and get balanced, get, get cemented underneath yourself and move the faster you are, but also the less likely you are to get injured. Well, well, it's kind of like, you know, I, I was given this compliment. I didn't realize it was a compliment at the time, but I'd won my first Spartan race in Chicago back in uh, 2000. You were actually there on a Sunday. I think you came to watch 2017, yeah. maybe. And somebody told me after the race, it was in the last like uh, half mile where we came back into the festival area. And somebody said, you looked like you were running with your upper body. And, and I didn't really know what that meant. They said, it looked like you were driving through with your arms and your core. I don't know how to describe it. And they'd put us through a bunch of swampy junk that day. My legs were gone. I mean, I was gone, but because I had worked some more well-rounded and balanced fitness through strength work, other areas of my body helped keep me like propelling forward, like in an efficient manner. And they're like, it did look like, I, I forget the exact verbiage, but that would have been like a case in point for me where like, okay, my hips were gone and my quads are gone, but my core and my upper, like, you know, my rear chain still took over and was able to, to help propel me through and, and when you say about being strong or well-rounded or complete athlete and how you just run more effectively, well, in this case, you know, nine miles through the mud broke me down, but other areas of my body were still able to kind of pull through and keep me geared the right direction, if that makes sense. Yeah. And before we get into the specifics of how to strength train, I think it's important to, to reiterate that this isn't just for trail runners or obstacle racers. Like this is for track. This is for road. This is for cross country. Yep. It is everyone that benefits. If you, if I could only give one example, it would be that um, the most technically advanced and shadiest training group in American history is the Nike Oregon Project. They did everything under the sun in order to get better, both in the sunlight and in the gray area. Like they pushed the limits on the legal bounds. Like they had a three-year investigation into them. They overturned every stone to see what they could get the benefit out of. And their primary focus was 5K, 10K. And they do strength training. So yep. if this is someone who's willing to take things into your body that aren't necessarily uh, morally acceptable to most people and they're willing to push the limits of volume and they have just millions they spend on recovery for their program each year, and they prioritize strength training for their 5K and 10K runners, then there has to be some carryover to the everyman who just wants to run a good 5K or 10K. And yeah. there's no, there's not a coincidence that the most successful American distance runner on a global scale is Galen Rupp, and he was part of that program. Yep. Different than everyone else we have. And we have other people who are doing shady practices, but they do everything right and they prioritize strength training. Yep. That's case in point right there. And they have a herd of the most uh, successful runners in the US, yeah. as far as we know. Um, so let's talk then. I think I want to dive into our current situation. Okay. So we're back to uh, base building. We're kind of holding off on peak fitness. Now is the perfect time to put a little more emphasis on your strength programming, which will then pay dividends later in this season when racing resumes and everything really matters. And like you said, 
I do believe this applies for road runners, trail runners, OCR athletes, of course, everybody. So I think this really crosses the, the gamut here. And so in this phase, Bracken, right now, like this next, even up to two months, all of April, all of May, maybe June, we should go back to a solid amount of strength focus. I think that you should be doing heavy, structured, functional strength movements two, if you possibly can, three times a week in this phase, um, especially if you haven't spent your whole life in the gym. You know, if you're if in the last few years you finally picked up the strength component or you let go of it for a while, right now is the time to maybe give a little bit on your running to take a little bit more in the strength side of things. Um, we interviewed Hunter for our last episode, and he takes four, six, eight weeks off of running and just builds foundational strength. And so right now, I don't think you necessarily need to do that, but I think a day or two a week, you can shift your emphasis from your run focus that day to a strength focus. Um, so we should go back to the drawing board. We should hit the reset button on our strength and start building uh, again right now as in we're approaching a brand new full season that's you know three to six months out. Yeah, this is the time where one of the biggest hurdles for running, there for runners, the two biggest hurdles, I guess there's three, being a, a an ex really skinny distance runner and being on teams with them, the three biggest hurdles were one, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Two, I don't want to look like a fool doing it. And three, I don't want it to impact my training. I don't want to be sore, get hurt or whatever. And right now, quarantine is the perfect time to alleviate all three of those because you have extra time in your day to spend watching videos on YouTube and seeing exactly how you should be doing it. And we're going to describe specifics of what you should do. Watch these videos, see form of how you should do it. And yeah. then no one's around you. You're in your house. You know, you're lifting by yourself. You can work on doing your form without anyone watching and get your bad reps out of the way so that by the time quarantine's over, you look like you know what you're doing. So now the embarrassment factor is gone and there are no races in sight. Get your soreness mm -hmm. out of the way now. And then by the time you're ready to hit your real training after your base building's done, you're not sore from lifting anymore. And Kurt, yep. you said it, I think what you said is going to set a lot of minds at ease. Take two or three days a week. This doesn't have to be a four or five day a week session, especially if you are the typical runner who doesn't do any strength work. You are going to have so many noob gains off this that you don't have to be in the gym every day. Yeah. Yeah. And we are in a little bit of a unique situation now because we're dealing with people who are working out from home and you don't have access to like uh, a full array of gym equipment. At least not everybody does. I'm going to try to work around that a little bit um, with how I describe things, but just acknowledge like we're going to half pretend like you have access to everything you possibly could use, but we can also modify what I'm talking about to be done from home. Um, so in this first phase, and I think this should last the next, I don't know, six to 10 weeks. I hate to say it. Let's just say you're, I want you to lift in three days a week. A lot of my athletes are lifting three days a week. Um, I like to hit very simple, heavy, structured movements. And when I say heavy, I mean in that like four to six rep range. We're not looking to build muscular endurance right now as much as we're looking to build just raw strength. Again, laying almost like a base phase to our strength foundation. Um so with this, I pick big movements. Ideally at this phase, I'm actually using the barbell a lot. I'm using both legs or I'm not doing a lot of single leg movements during this phase. Uh, those will come and they'll come later. But right now I'm working simple movements. I'm working squats. I'm working deadlifts. I'm working 
heavy bent over rows. I may do some lunges in this phase. Um, and then everything from power cleans to hang cleans to overhead shoulder press, um, things that are really going to load the body, load the spine, put our body under a lot of stress, like that feeling. If you're, if you're a Spartan athlete and you go to lift that 400 pound tire and you, it takes everything in you where you go, and it's that huge nervous system stimulant. That's what we're looking for in this phase. So putting our body under heavy loads, putting our body under heavy loads often, keeping our rep range low and working just simple foundational movements. The fancy stuff is going to come later once we've laid a base to our foundation. So um, those are like the, the points I like to start with with this first phase. I think that's perfect. I like those core lifts, squat, deadlift pressing overhead press mm -hmm. over row those kind of things because one they're just super functional to an athlete you can load up the weight heavy and you can move generally in stable movement patterns without having to worry about getting hurt i actually don't even care about hanger power clean at this stage for people who haven't lifted before because mm -hmm. it's more complicated i'd love to see them master the deadlift and then move into that. But it, i mean i don't even want to get into semantics i love the compound movements and being able to do them heavy and it's perfect for a beginner because heavy is totally subjective to you. Mm -hmm. Heavy to me means if I'm doing five reps, I'm doing five reps with the best, most perfect form I can, whatever weight allows me to do that. So when I was first squatting for the first time in my life, I started with less than my body weight on the bar because mm -hmm. I didn't have the hip mobility the hamstring strength or flexibility, or the knowledge of how to move through a good squat with anything more than like 150 pounds on the bar. And I was yep. sore the next day from it. And that, that was heavy. So that's qualified for heavy. You know, a good lifter might warm up. A good female lifter warms up with more than 155 pounds on the bar, you know, but it was ego out the window. I'm learning the movement pattern and heavy to me is heavy. And that's all that matters. And you go up from there. So this is the time where you just throw your ego out. You don't care about what your number says, as long as your body says, this is heavy to me, but I can move it perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. How, how many reps you can do with proper form. And I know, you know, I wish we could be there in your basement with you, coaching you on your form and, and guiding you through proper, proper technique on a lot of these things. But we're, we're just kind of you know, shooting this over at face value right now. And hopefully those are things that you can hone in on on your own. I do, I do recommend though, filming every record, every rep for your first, at least six weeks of lifting. I did the exact thing, same thing before the workout. I would pull up a YouTube video of a perfect lift rep. I'd watch it right before my warm up, And then I would record my reps. And during my rest break between my sets, I would watch my reps and then make yep. immediate adjustments every single week and it took weeks and weeks but mm -hmm. it's it's instant feedback so you got you got to find a way since you can't, you don't have coaches next to you you have to find a way to watch your own reps yep that's very smart it's a very good it's a very good point um so if i were to simplify the five movements i believe you should be doing right now okay if you were just going to keep it simple like the things that should be a staple um, and let's say you're on a program where you're lifting Monday, Wednesday, Friday right now. That's a great program to be on. Great setup right now. If you have like a, just looking at your week, I think both on Monday and Friday, you can do the same lifts. Okay. And we're looking at deadlifts. We're looking at squats. We are looking at overhead shoulder press or a push press. Okay. 
And then we're looking at bent over barbell rows and pull-ups. So we have five movements, okay? We have deadlifts, squats, overhead push press, barbell rows, and pull-ups. That's going to cover most everything that you're really going to need as far as foundational strength before we move into more specifics as our periodization with strength moves on. So those should be your staples. Now, so for example, I may hit those lifts twice each week at some point. Heavy again, four to six reps. Of course, I'm doing warm-ups before these heavy sets, guys. Like do some warm-ups, get your body ready for what's coming. And then, so that might be like Monday and Friday. And then on a Wednesday, I might hit some... Um, some things that excite me in the middle of the week. I may work on my grip work a little more. I may hit some true core work just because I need to do that to feel good about where I'm at. I may hit some other stuff like my push-ups and other stuff on a Wednesday. So I would really focus, if I were programming for you, your Mondays and Fridays are heavy, those five foundational lifts. And then Wednesday can be some auxiliary lifts, some things that excite you, some things that you can maybe go a little higher rep count, some more you know, plyometric functional movements. But that Monday and Friday should be just heavy structured foundational movements. I like that. I do a pretty similar version of that. And sometimes that Wednesday I use for the, I guess, supplemental lifts to my main set. So if I'm squatting and deadlifting on other days, I might front squat on that day or do weighted step ups. Yep. Uh, just little variations of what I'm doing on the other days to kind of round it out. But you don't need to. That can be your CrossFit day. That can be your your um, ninja gym day, that can be your your P90X day, like whatever that whatever your your poison is, that that's when you can do it as your third kind of hybrid day. Yeah, yep, I like that. And with this, so I guess you know a lot of you're working at home. What I'm talking about are mostly barbell movements, other than uh, pull ups. And pull ups, you know, a lot of you are stronger than doing six reps with body weight, so you can add some weight around your waist. Um, I won't want you going much higher than six reps for your heavy working sets in this phase. Um, but uh, you can do these with dumbbells. Like you can do a deadlift with a set of dumbbells. You can do squats with a set of dumbbells. You can do bent over rows with a set of dumbbells, whatever you have at home. You might need to get creative. Um, but point being is if you don't have a barbell, that's quite all right. You can modify some way to make this work. I had seen some fun videos on the internet of people like taking pipes and hanging shit from them and figuring stuff out. I mean, I'm, there's probably a way to get this done. Yeah, there definitely is. You ever watch the movie Unbreakable? Uh, no, I haven't. No, I haven't. He discovers he's super strong one day and he's in the <laughs> basement. And he like puts some weight on and he doesn't have much weights. He starts adding paint cans to the end of his bar and he starts hitting yeah. stuff. But like that stuff's applicable. Yeah. Wait, five gallon jugs of water are great. Like yeah. what you got. Yeah. So this phase, um, again, I would probably stick to this phase April, May. For sure. I want to see six to 10 weeks of like this solid work. And, and what you're doing with this, if you have access to enough weight, is you are trying to increase maybe, you know, five pounds a week, how much you're able to, to move. You know, you should you should progress pretty well on this phase. So you're not getting stagnant. You're not going right to a weight and then just staying there. Your goal is to increase, you know, five or 10 pounds a week on most of these movements um, until you sort of plateau. Until you're like uh, two or three weeks in a row, I'm not able to increase the amount of weight I'm moving anymore. Okay, then you're you're saying, okay, I'm a little bit stuck now. Now what do I do? So we've kind of capped out our max strength gains in this first phase, and then what I think we do is we move to like phase two. I think so. Well, I have one last point about phase one, and that is from the I've never lifted before or haven't since high school perspective. Yep, picking your starting weight is tricky. 
Mm-hmm. So I'm going to approach this as if you have a barbell and weights that you're going to add on. And Kirk started talking about that with the warm up sets. If you're doing three by five for your, your uh, say, squats, three by five, grab the bar, do a warm up set of five, mm-hmm. see how that feels, and think, okay, how much could I add on that it's still a warm up set, but it's not a working set? Let's say you throw 10 on each side. That starts to feel like, okay, this is starting to be work, but I could go up a little more. Now throw five more on each side, do it. If that suddenly felt like that was work, that was your first set. Mm-hmm. But start, use your warm up sets to build to a weight. And it might take four or five warm up sets your first week. Your first week is almost like a, a learning to what weight I need lift. But use your warm up sets. Take five sets if you need to get to one working set on day one, if that's what you get to. But build up slowly. Don't just say, you know what? When I was in high school, I squatted 225. So yeah, let's start with 225 and see where we go from here. Start way under, move up to it, and it just makes it way more accessible and less scary. Yeah, I I mean, I'll probably hit three to five heavy working sets of all these movements, but I may take three to five warm-up sets to get – probably five. Honestly, I err on the side of caution. I put a sweatshirt on. I throw my hood over my head. I got sweatpants on. I get a sweat going before I actually push any real weight around. How least of that. I'm always in a, in some sort of sweatshirt or a, I have my my cutoff sweatshirts with my hood up down there. Yeah. She thinks I look like a goon. You got to tell her that this is what men do. This is what men, this is what smart men do who want to prepare their body for the work that's about to come. I get my core warm. Yeah. I got to get that sweat going. Then your body's ready with risk and injury. Yeah. I got to get that fascia and those muscles all loosened up. Uh, get a little vasodilated. Bracken. I don't do less than three warm up sets. Yep. Me for, for my first movement pattern. Sometimes once I've moved on to like the third or fourth exercise, I can get away with one or two warm-up sets, but almost never less than three. Especially on that first that first strength movement when you're just getting started, I overdo the warm-up sets. Yep, absolutely. So so we do phase one where we – did you have anything else you wanted to add to that, uh, What your, your previous comment or thought? Only that you need to be writing everything down. 100%. This is where it's on your phone, on your laptop – in a journal. I like journal. There's something, there's something just like raw about taking a pen or a pencil and writing it down on a piece of paper. It just feels like this is what people have been doing for centuries, you know, Mm -hmm. when they work out. I like having that. I like being able to page through it, but no matter how you use it, write down your weights, write down your sets, write down how you feel. Um, I like to to always say how many reps I had left in the tank. So mm-hmm. in my notebook, it'll say three by five at 185. Um, and then for each rep, it'll say four in the tank, two in the tank, one in the tank. And I can, so I can look back and always see exactly how I was feeling. And it lets me know what weight to start at next time. So write everything down. You will not regret it. The worst thing you can do is get to a day and not be sure what you're about to do. Yeah. My, uh, my college coach made us keep, uh, keep running logs, um, the summer going into my freshman year, that was a very important part of it. And his his philosophy was a workout is never completed until it is written down. And for a couple of reasons. One, it can help you track progress, learn from your successes and your failures. Um, and it's how you process what's happening and you can move forward more accordingly and then also go back and look. So I've been, you know, what is that, 2001? So I'm on 20 years of running logs and strength logs. Um, and I think you should do the same. I've learned more from going back and looking at those than I have uh, a lot of other ways in my training. And you think you're going to remember. You always think you're going to remember how much you lifted. You always think you're going to remember how many sets you do. And you never fucking do. You just don't. 
I have a savant for knowing every split of every workout I've ever run, or so I thought. Like I can I can tell you stuff from my freshman year of college, but I still have to write everything down because I don't remember everything. Mm -hmm. like I remember yep. so much more than a normal person should, and that's still only a fraction of what I've done. Yep. And exactly. as a quick aside, when I had my final like breaking point this past year where I was just sick of feeling the way I was feeling physically and sick of not being as fast or strong as I wanted to be, I would look back through all my training logs. I did exactly what you were just talking about. I went back to the very first logs I've ever kept and I looked for trends and patterns and it gave me so much good knowledge to revisit and relearn things that I already at one point knew and put back into play. It's such a valuable tool to have. You will not regret a log. Yeah, I think uh, I'm probably undershooting this, but I think I go back and look at my running logs once a week still. I mean, like I'll pull up 2018 or 2017, be like, I remember this phase I was in and I want to I want to know where I was at or compare or look at what was going on once a week. I have a drawer downstairs with them all in it. Uh, my girlfriend, Jess, can attest to this. I go in and look at it and start filtering through and finding what I want to find once a week. That's like my own library of knowledge in there. So anyways, you get the point, guys. Keep that's your right. log. So now back to phase two and, and remind them you get to phase two when? You get to phase two when you feel like your strength gains have maxed out. You've gone a couple of weeks, maybe two, three weeks where you're not improving your strength. You're not able to increase your numbers. You're feeling stuck. You're like, ugh. Now I'm just like, I'm, I'm plateaued. Yep. Okay. With my movements. When you can no longer go up and wait, it's time to move into the next phase. Time to move to the next phase. Yep. So you've maxed out the base phase of your strength uh, at the moment. So now you've done a good job. You've built some solid strength in those movements, um, but you're feeling a little deflated because now you're stuck. Um, at this point also, we should maybe have a better understanding of when we're racing next. So that'll also be kind of popping up into our minds. Um, now what I like to do is you can, if you've been a three time a week lifter, you can stay at three. Now I start to be okay with you backing off to two, let's say. Um, and here's what I like to do then. So I like to keep one day of those foundational lifts in still. Okay. Um, I keep a similar rep range, but now I start to add in single leg movements into my other lift day. So now instead of those, you know, you know, where, where our, our feet are in parallel stance. Our feet are in a parallel stance for a squat, for a deadlift, for a bent over row. Now I'm moving into split squats. I'm moving into walking lunges. I'm moving into box step ups. I'm moving into single leg Romanian deadlifts. I'm still keeping my pull up work and my row work and other things in there. But now I'm I'm forcing the stability component to be put on each uh, side of my body individually. I might do some lateral or some side squats or side lunges. I'm going to add in some of that movement now to now build off of the foundational strength. Think of like the foundational strength as your tree trunk. And now I'm now I'm starting to help grow the branches off and make this like a, a blooming thing of fitness. So, so I keep the foundational lifts in once a week. And then I add in one or two other days of now single leg movement, a little more dynamic work um, now that that base has already been built. So what do you do with your rep scheme during this time? Do you reset something higher? Do you move to lower? Do you keep the rep scheme the same? How do you progress? Great. So when I, uh, let's say on Monday, I stick to my heavy foundational lifts. I'm actually going to keep those rep counts low on that Monday lift. 
Um, again, I'll probably still keep my, just to make sure I don't lose any of the, the gains. Now that I've worked hard to get those rewards in my strength, I can maintain those with one lift a week. I've worked, I've earned that right. I've put the money in the bank. It is in there. I've earned it. Okay. So I can just do once a week on those heavy, let's say five by five routines, and I'm going to keep all my strength gains. So once a week, I'm still hitting those four to six rep range function, foundational movements. The other lift now, when I go to single leg or single arm work or single things like that, um, I like to increase my rep count at least to eight, sometimes 10, 12. Um, cause we don't need to, we don't need to stress a single leg or single movement the same way we do when we have both feet under us or both. So, so I typically go to an eight to uh, 10, 12 rep range for everything, split squats, lunges, uh, especially the, like those Romanian deadlifts. Um, I may actually add, add in some offset rows now where I'll grab one heavy dumbbell. I'll do a bent over row, but I'm only using my right arm to heavy bent over row. Then I'll go to my left arm, keeping the core stable and not letting it rotate me. Um, so again, that one, one lift a week, still that low rep count. And then the other lift a week, I'm increasing the rep count for those single uh, leg or single arm movements. Now, this is where things start to seem cloudy or complicated or confusing to people that have not spent their whole life doing it. But, yeah. And I've been in that boat. But the easiest way for me to think about this is the same way I think about periodization in running, which is the closer I get to the competition, the closer my training needs to represent the demands of the race. So just like I go from base building and threshold running down to more specific OCR workouts or marathon workouts or 10K workouts, strength training does the same thing. We start with the thing that is most distant from our race, but most demanding for building up tolerance for what's going to come next, which is two foot parallel, you know, mm -hmm. stance movements. And now you start to get closer to a race. I have to move less weight, but I'm doing it off one foot at a time. And so now yep. you bridge that gap to split squats, to step ups, things like to lunges. And then from there, you can always progress to single leg squats and explosive uh, one leg hop up onto boxes. But the closer you get, the more in the second stage, you progress from power stance moves to athletic stance moves. But you have to, just like in running, we don't get rid of aerobic work and we don't get rid of threshold work. We keep them in, maybe just at a lesser occurrence. Same thing with lifting. We don't get rid of squats and deadlifts with our feet underneath us. We just do them a little bit less. Yep. It's a, you've explained that perfectly. And, and again, you've earned the right, like once you build that strength, like strength does not leave you as quick as cardio fitness leaves you. Okay. So you work hard on this strength phase and then you can maintain it with a fraction of the effort. Meaning you don't need to apply that stimulus to your body three times a week anymore, or twice a week, one time a week is enough to maintain everything you've gained. So that's why we back off from two or three heavy lifts a week down to that one. Okay. Um, because you're going to keep all those gains and then we get more sports specific, just like you had mentioned. So in this phase, I would probably still do like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday routine. Wednesday can still be your, you know, your accessory lifts, however you want to work that. And then your Friday again would be more single, single leg or single, you know, arm or movements like that. So, um, so I think you explained that really well. Now this phase, I race in this phase often. Like in the beginning of the year, like I'm still, the only difference is, is I won't be doing my Friday strength session before a Saturday race. That week I will miss my second lift, no big deal, but I still am hitting my foundational lifts early in the week. So it's all good. So this phase you could sit in for most of the season. I mean, actually uh, you really could. And 
and we talked a little bit about, you know, when do we like to fit our strength work in based on our running? That's a huge question from runners. A huge question is, okay, I know what to do now. When do I do it? Do I want to compromise my workout and do it the day before so that I can focus on the lift, but then I'm tired for my intervals or long run? Do I do it the day after? And that makes sense for upper body, but do I want to do lower body lifting the day after a quality workout when I'm supposed to be recovering? Or do I stack them together, make my quality day super quality and my recovery recovery? These are the things that go through every runner's brain when they're trying to figure out how to do this. Yeah. So... I like that Monday lift. Most people do a quality day on Tuesdays. Most now this, not everybody, but I feel like a lot of people get, you know, a Tuesday quality day. Um, because you've been applying the stimulus to your body for now weeks and weeks on end, that Monday heavy lift, like where you're doing squats and deads, isn't going to impact your Tuesday interval work a whole lot or anything high quality because you your body's adjusted to that stimulus. So I think it's okay to throw that on the front end of your week. Um, and then with those single leg or single playing movements um later in the week you know i don't mind my legs being a little tired for a saturday long run i think there's some merit to just kind of working through that i'm not going for any real intense work on a, on a saturday so i can i can you know work through a little bit of fatigue there so that's how i like to set it up i don't really hit much as far as lower body it's usually a monday friday split for me um and again, my Monday workout isn't making me sore for my Tuesday workout. I'm usually still able to still get some quality work in. Again, because I've been doing that work so consistently. Um, I think that's the name of the game. If you're jumping into this for the first week or two, yeah, it's going to impact your running the next couple of days. But once you get into the groove, I think you can get away with it. What's your experience with that? I agree with that, especially for obstacle course racers. Um, I'll play devil's advocate now and say that if you're not doing a sport that demands compromised running, I would prioritize your quality runs. And then the ideal world that I believe a lot of track people do um, is what we did in college is we did our bigger leg days the same day as our interval work. So instead of doing my big lift Monday, I would do it Tuesday evening or sure. immediately follow my track session. And as a result, you are totally fresh for the sport as specific aspect, and then you don't lift as strong and you just kind of accept that. And then that's, that's also something that you can change mid season. You can do your base phase prioritizing the strength and then your competition season prioritizing the running. Um, but I, I think it really comes down to finding what works for your body. You have people like Hunter who Hunter does a big um, workout the day. Uh, he, he loves to strength train before his big runs. He just loves the idea of being compromised going into it. You have other people who just cannot mentally wrap their mind around being compromised the next day. They hate running with tired hip flexors or with soreness in their legs if they still have it. And so then they have to adjust their week accordingly. So I would say to play devil's advocate to you, um, I would the first thing I would do if I did not want to be tired from my Tuesday workout is I would just bump my Tuesday to Wednesday. That's fine. Yeah. I'd get my big workout Monday lifting wise, my big interval Wednesday, but then I would still do that kind of that hybrid workout Wednesday night. Yeah. And then, yeah, Friday, I would do that supplemental one because you're just not going to be as destroyed from that and do your long or workout Saturday. And if that's not working, then you bump that Friday to Saturday, but now you only have one day turnaround before Monday. So I still like the Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I would just move that Wednesday, Tuesday workout to Wednesday. I think those are the two safest options for most runners. Yep. Yeah. Um, 
so I like to uh, when we talk about that Wednesday lift. Um, when we talk about that Wednesday lift. You uh, do whatever kind of feeds you that whatever you need that day at this phase. Like for me, I like to hit a lot of high rep pull ups. I like to do body weight push ups. I might like to do uh, extra grip work, extra stuff like that on that Wednesday. Whatever whatever feeds you, you're kind of like your soul that way. Whatever you intuitively need to lift. Um, so again, now you can sit in this phase through races. You should be okay to race and train through this phase. Finding that balance might take a little experimenting. And then you can sit in this phase as long as you'd like, because you're probably going to, the goal is to maintain and get a little more function in sports specific movement. Um, and then you got phase three, in my opinion, the final phase, which is now I'm, I really care about these races I have coming up. These are my A races. They're peaking races. This is the finale in my season. And then I think you kind of transition to phase three at this time. Um, and I know we're being a little cloudy in how long to sit in phase two, but like, let's say you build your phase one all the way through June. You can sit in phase two for July, August, September, as long as you want. That's just like a maintenance phase, in my opinion. You don't need to go to phase three if you don't want to. Yeah, you don't. I agree. Phase three could be as simple as removing your final one of your lifts per week or removing one of your sets on every day. But I can stay in phase two all year round. One thing I do in phase two, if I want to keep it for a long time, is I do a little block of it. I'll do a block of phase two where I stick with the five rep scheme. And then I'll do a block where I bump back up to eight and then back down to five and then down to three. And I'll just keep going eight, five, three for a month or six weeks at a time throughout that and just extend the time I can stay at two. Yeah. That phase two is kind of like your center point. Like I always come back to that. You can always sit in that as long as you'd like. You're always still like really doing a good job of like building or maintaining anything you've worked for. Um, and I like that because I put the single leg movements in that phase and those just really translate nicely for me. And I feel like those are very purposeful um, and sport specific. Now in the phase three, we don't even need to spend a lot of time on phase three, which would be the next phase. But just like Bracken mentioned, at this phase, you could keep the same lifts going. You could just decrease either the sets. Uh, you could stop a rep or two shy of true fatigue or failure on these. Um, or honestly, at this phase, a lot of times, like if, Studies show like you can maintain all of your raw strength gains for up to like 21 days after your last lift. It really sits in there well. Neuromuscular adaptation, your body remembers those pathways. Um, you can apply it to sport. Like you could reduce down to a, one lift a week. I would probably more focus on my single movements uh, if I'm reducing to one at this at this phase. Um, and you're going to reap all the rewards. So now just, hey, less overall stress on the body. You're letting your body sort of absorb all the training you've done over these weeks and months. And so you can go down to up to one lift a week. You can keep your, you know, your rep count anywhere in that uh, eight to 10 rate, six to 10, eight to 12, somewhere in there. Um, and you're going to reap all the rewards without over fatiguing your body. You're not going to make any more gains in those two, three weeks. So now you're just maintaining with as little work possible. And then you go race. And, and that's, um, that's a simple end periodization. You don't have to, I mean, I've gone through that phase a number of times and my strength stays right where it needs to, even off of one lift a week at this time. So um, that would be the final phase leading into peak racing, so to speak. And that's a long ways out from where we're at right now, but just so you have a, an overview of how this should look. Mm -hmm. And there is one final phase that one piece to that phase that you can work on if you're going for a true, true peak. Like if you are building up to a race and you want to fire on all cylinders, you can, you can kind of bump everything back. You, th there's an option of sharpening to the most race specific movements now. So you take your single legs 
are your, your two leg squatting and deadlifting everything. And you can kind of shuffle that out for the last two to three weeks, move your single leg stuff back to that takes the place of that workout. So now mm -hmm. that's your heavy day. And now you add in more plyo work where you are springing with your legs with lightweight or no weight, but getting really explosive off the ground, really prioritizing ground contact time. So that when you get to your final race, you've maintained all the strength you can for as long as possible without losing it, but you've also translated it as well as possible to being on and off the ground one foot at a time, which is running. And especially yep. important for track runners who need to be really explosive at that time. They can't have lingering fatigue in their legs, but equally important to trail runners who need to be able to descend and run technical terrain really lightly and explosively. Yep. That's a good point. And to remind you, this phase three or when you're coming closer to peaking towards the end of the season, you've earned the right to reduce your lifting down to one day a week because in the front end of this whole phase, you were putting in the work, you were putting in the time, you were building that strength. You've earned the right to taper off the frequency and intensity of your strength work so you can perform at the races that matter. But this only applies like now is the time to put in that base work to earn that right to periodize your strength work, to slowly taper it off to a little less time, a little less duration as the season progresses, because again, you've earned, you've put that money in the bank. If you don't have this phase one where you're putting money in the bank, this all kind of goes like this whole model doesn't work. I mean, do strength when you can and fit it into your schedule when you can, it's going to benefit you in some capacity. But if you want to get the most out of this, you should break it down in the way that we're sort of describing. And then again, you can find comfort in the fact that you're backing off the um, frequency of your strength work towards the end of the season, because again, you've earned that right. That's the important thing. It is. And, and that, that speaks to the concept of not stressing over things when, when their workouts change. One of the hard parts of periodization is mentally knowing that you might've been slightly better at a certain skill five weeks ago. You know, you might've been a better tempo runner five weeks before your championship season. And what you have to remind yourself is, yeah, but when I combine being at 95% of my tempo runs and being at 98% of my speed work and 100% of my skill right now, I'm better overall than I was five weeks ago. And the same thing is with, with your strength work. You'll get to championship season and you might not be able to keep, if you had to do a three by five, your weight might be 10 or 15 pounds lower than it was 12 weeks ago when you just mm -hmm. came off a power block. But it's not about can you squat 285 for five? It's what percentage of that can you keep when you're now at your fastest? Because your squat doesn't dictate your ceiling in a race. Your running plus your ability to have power output dictates your ability. So it's keeping as much as you can, but not worrying about a little bit of loss because as endurance athletes, we are slave to numbers. And mm -hmm. if we see numbers go down, it's really easy to get negative. That is not something we have to worry about. We just say, all right, I've gone down 10 pounds over the course of 12 weeks. I'm still up 13 pounds or 15 pounds from where I was last year at this time. And I'm 10 seconds per mile faster in my 5K. The big picture is what matters when you periodize. 100%. I'm glad you brought that up because that will start to happen. And you even, you know, we reference Hunter when it comes to Hunter McIntyre, when it comes to strength work a lot. I mean, that man, when he was pursuing OCR, um, you know, hard, I mean, he would lose 15 pounds from his strength phase to his peak race phase. And his numbers were going down, guys, but his numbers would have went down 
on his strength movement significantly more if he didn't plan a season out the way he did. So he came into peak like Tahoe fitness lighter and light as he needed to be, but held on to as much strength as that body could handle at his weight still. And that's kind of the idea is you're going to lose a little bit, of course, but, but not a lot. And, and it's, and that's okay. You're still kind of, if you didn't do any strength work and you came to the end of the season where these races mattered, you'd possibly be so broken down and so weak that your performance would suffer. And that's what we're trying to prevent. We're trying to actually have it work out the opposite of that. We're having, we're, we want you ready to pop. So yeah, there's a good point that sometimes those numbers will decrease, but that doesn't mean that you're any less ready to crush your race. Definitely. And strength to weight ratio is such a huge thing in endurance sports that even if you lose a few pounds on your, 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 big power lifts, but you've lost a few pounds, you still might be having a net gain here because you are lighter. And so now you don't necessarily need to be able to hit that number anymore because you're still hitting the same percentage based off your body weight. Yeah. Yeah. And then as this, as this progresses, you know, and, and something, you know, it's, it's a balance of efforts. So maybe you're putting a little less high intensity run efforts in during this phase one and then phase two, you're starting to filter in a little more tempo work, maybe some more interval work into your running. So you're making a little more room by giving a little bit less to your strength work, but giving more to your run work. And then in that last phase, you're hitting some pretty rock star peaking workouts. Um, and you're making room for the balance of efforts. Because if you're trying to do heavy strength work three days a week and hit two interval workouts every week and hit your long run, like your body is going to break down and fatigue. And so we're just sort of bet, playing that balancing act of how much effort are we putting into our strength versus how much effort are we putting into our running. And when we back off the strength just a hair, let's say we lift one day a week less, that opens up room to put a little more effort into our running. So as the season progresses, we're putting more and more effort into our running and a little bit less effort into our strength. And it all balances out into hopefully this culmination of fitness where we can really pop the races we want to at the end of the year. Um, and that's why we periodize it that way too. They have to work cohesively. I a hundred percent agree with that. There is so there are so many variables in how this all works, but really you can just make it very simple by starting with four or five compound movements, functional movements, heavy, and then get a little closer to the race and start doing single leg stuff. And you can extend that as long as you want the same way you'd extend your workouts progression as long as you want with a steady mix of threshold work and some OCR specific speed, you can keep those blocks going pretty long. And then when you're ready to really sharpen, you sharpen and sharpen can either mean doing less of it or doing it, um, with less overall effort. That's it. Yep. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty simple. Either go from three days down to two or do it down to one or keep all of them and remove sets. Yep. But don't overthink this because anything you're doing as long as it's intelligent is better than when you weren't doing any of it. And so if you get yeah. to the end of the season, you start thinking like, Oh man, I have all these moving pieces now. And I don't know if I'm getting hundred percent of my lifting workouts, just pump the brakes and be like, Hey, I didn't do any of this last year. Mm -hmm. I could stop right now and I'd be ahead of where I was. So enjoy the benefits, enjoy the process, enjoy looking a little bit better with your shirt off, but don't stress about it and don't lose sight of core work. At the end of the day, if you are a road runner, a track runner, a mountain runner, your core dictates how long you can maintain your form without it starting to sag. When your body fatigues, your core keeps you in line, functioning the way you're supposed to function. And especially in our sport, 
which contains downhill work, you can only run downhill as well as your core allows you to. If you look at the best descenders in the sport, they all have really, really strong defined cores. And that is not a coincidence. They all have different form. They all have different body structures. But Johnny, Ryan Atkins, John Albin, Hunter McIntyre, Kirk, I would throw you up there. Um, guys like yeah. that who can descend like crazy have really, really good core. Yeah. And I also do, I like to throw in with the core. We don't need to get on too big of a tangent with this, but um, I consider sort of the hip hip strength in into that core, especially when it comes to going downhill. Um, I know it seems a little, it's not like technically your core, but the hip girdle, the hip strength, I got some lateral movements I like to throw in there as far as strength moving movements go specifics, but um I, it would be too difficult to explain. Maybe course, maybe course training in one of our next training Tuesdays. Yeah, yeah, that might be worth a that might be worth a dive in. But I do agree with you because that's kind of your centerpiece to the whole deal, and and that can keep you moving efficiently, quickly, especially when you're fatigued. Um, and I know there's I know there's other you know there's other people who are going to believe different things than what I'm what we're guiding you through here. This is just my philosophy. What Bracken thinks there are other effective ways to go about your strength programs. Don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm giving you the Bible of strength work here. This is just this is one guy or two guys' opinions. Okay. So if you disagree, that's totally fine. Um, again, there are other ways or very studied approaches that that work as well. Um, I think this, in my opinion, is a, a very good, uh, like overarching way to approach your season. And again, mm -hmm. we're just two guys with two opinions on this. You will never find a consensus on the best way to train endurance running mm -hmm. speed strength nutrition diet there is never a consensus but there are core principles that apply and the vast majority of successful distance programs use a version of this where you do moderate to low reps high moderate to high weight and you get sports specific as you go that is one of the accepted ways and it's super accessible does crossfit have its place sure does mm -hmm. you know does beachbody have its place sure do um you know orange theory thing, things like that they, they all have their place you can make anything work if you do it correctly but you can't go wrong with this this may not be the ultimate best that everyone will agree on but no one will look at this and tell you you're wasting your time doing it because this will not steer you wrong yep yeah, I agree very much so. And I know this is a tricky time because you don't have access to a gym, most people, so your equipment could be limited. Um, I don't mean to, to plug what we do or what I do too much, but right now is a really good time to potentially hire somebody to give you specific workouts to do from home with the equipment you have available. If you're looking for like a very tailored strength program based on what you have access to right now, this would be a really good time to reach out to Brack and I or somebody else who does strength programming. Um, because I know a lot of people are, are scratching their heads a little bit as to like, how do I navigate the home workouts right now? I know by now, so like the allure and the novelty of working out from home is starting to wear off for a lot of people. Um, so don't hesitate to reach out and ask if we can help you out to make something customized from your house based on the equipment that you specifically have. It would be completely tailored. Um, if you're feeling a bit stuck, I just think there's probably no better time than now to try to get, get some help there. Um, whether it's us or somebody else, um, can't think of a better time anyways. Kurt, I am right now considering taking on a coach. Oh yeah. All yeah. right. 
for the first time I've, I'm just getting to the point where I'm spending a lot of time building out this, can we say it, this website? Yeah, go ahead. For the running public and reworking a lot of training plans for other people. And I'm getting to the point where I feel like I'm running short on bandwidth. And there's Mm -hmm. a few names I have that I'd like to, that I'm going to be reaching out to about possibly taking the reins a little bit on some of my run training. Mm -hmm. I've never in my life got to this point, but I'm feeling like I'm about ready to. This is the time to kind of turn over a new leaf. So I'm on board with you guys. Even coaches need coaches. I hired Bracken for almost two years straight when I first got into this sport. I was self-coaching up to that point. Um, pride, ego, any of that should not get in the way. Um, I thought I knew what I needed to know. And then I learned a lot by working with Bracken. Um, and then you take what you've learned and you create your own from that. And you learn, I mean, the only way to learn is to expose yourself to new ideas. So, uh, that's a really good case in point, man. I mean, even the, the Olympic gold medalists who are so accomplished in their sport, they have coaches, most coaches out there that, uh, are available do have coaches themselves. It's true. Kirk, I would say that at least a quarter, if not a third of the athletes I work with are either coaches or trainers in some regard. Yeah. Just because at some point you're too invested, it's too personal and you have to step outside it, or you're just tired of, you don't want to think about it. You spend all day dealing with someone else's and you just want to read the workout and go do it without tinkering. Yeah. And I'm getting to that point. <laughs> well, there's some there's some allure to just believing in a process, no matter what that process is and following and seeing it through. And right now is, is a good time to look into that because the risk is pretty low considering races are still a ways out and the reward is potentially high just on the fact that you're going to have a newfound, maybe bigger for a training program. So I guess that's a long-winded way of saying now would be the time if you need some help from home to look at look at potentially getting some if you feel like you're starting to spin your wheels a little bit. It's the time. Turn a new yeah. leaf over and come back to race season a new animal. Yeah. Uh, I got nothing else to add. I hope that was clear. We may, I could see more questions being arisen than anything because I know we, we gave some sort of uh, blanket advice, we'll call it. Um, feel free to shoot those questions over. Bracken and I are thinking about doing another Q&A episode next next Tuesday. We'll see if we do. We're just getting a lot of like single questions coming in every day that we might want to address. So if you have any, shoot them over to us. We'll get another Q&A episode out sooner than later anyways. Um, but yes, we expect probably follow-up questions to this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just remember the keys. Low reps, high weight, perfect form, sport-specific as your season progresses. From there on, everything else is minutia, and you can figure it out as you go. Yeah, couldn't sum it up better than that. Thanks for listening today, guys. Get out there and throw some weight around. Ho, ho, ho.